Peter Brown is on Yahoo Sports Radio. Back to the legend. Here he is, PB. The question coming up in the June draft will be Wiggins or Parker? Parker or Wiggins? They appear to be 1-2. How they go 1-2, that may be still up in the air. We still have to find out, obviously, who will be, who has uh, the number one pick as they get together in Chicago. I like the old days at Moody Bible when they actually would play, like, pickup games. That was fun. Now watching drills, sleeper. It's not as much fun. And where one-fifth of the first round probably won't be able to speak English. As the case is, every single year, all these teams take shots on guys who never make the All-Star team, but pad their expense reports. Joining us now from DraftExpress.com is Jonathan Gavoni. Jonathan, how are you, pal? I'm doing great. How about you? Good. I love it when they get those foreign guys who can't play or, or you know, two years down the road they'll be here. Or I mean, you know, we always moan and groan about the early entrance and how, you know, this guy didn't make it and that guy didn't make it. How about the guys who come from Europe who don't really stand out in this league at all? Yeah, like Dirk and Tony Parker. Yeah, okay, good. A couple. And, and, and you know, again, here and there. But, but every year it's six or seven guys drafted in the first round that we never hear about, with the exception of uh, Nowitzki or Parker. They're, I mean, they're not that many. I mean, we've actually done some studies on this, and mm-hmm. it, drafting an international player in the first round is the, the most value you can find. Even though none of them, most of them don't make the All Star team? Uh, I'm just not accurate. A lot of them do. Well, wait a minute. The two superstars in this league are Kevin Durant, who spent one year at Texas, and LeBron James, who never played college basketball. They're Americans. I mean, we, as at colleges, play better than most, okay? We uh, dominate the Olympics, and yet we assume that Europe is where great basketball players come from. Why is that the case? I mean, there's great players being all over the world. I mean, just because LeBron and Kevin Durant are the best two players doesn't mean that you don't draft anybody else. I think that there's uh, tons of good players coming from all over the place. I mean, um, you know, Akeem Olajuwon was a, was a great player. Right. Um, um, you know, Andrew Bogut is, is very good. We saw Yannick Latatakunbo, one of the biggest steals of the draft last year, come from Greece. Uh, you know, Danilo Gallinari is great. Pau Gasol, Marcus Gasol, Manu Ginobili, Serge Ibaka. Um, you know, Karolinko has had a great run. Mm-hmm. Yao Ming was terrific. Steve Nash, if you want to throw in the Canadians. Yeah, I don't throw in Canadians. I don't count that one. Uh, I don't know. Rubio is pretty good. And I, gotta, uh, I don't know if I count the Spanish guys either. I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know if I count. Like, Ginobili is like a different, you know, because the, the assumption always is in John. He's from Argentina. Right. The Europeans are are soft. You know what I mean? That they're, they're, They don't play the same physical style that Americans usually do. Right? Isn't that the knock on European players? There's a lot of very soft Americans, too. True. I mean, that is uh, true. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, it's really, it's dangerous to lump everybody into one specific, you know, genre. There are, you have to evaluate every player individually. Right. And it's gonna, that's where you get into trouble, I think. I think, though, at the top of this draft, I mean, the two college players, or even three, we've included Embiid in there as well, that they they are above Exum, aren't they? I mean, in, is, there a, is there a gap between them or not? You know, it I, I, there's not that big of a gap. I okay. think that if Exxon went to college, I mm-hmm. think that we'd be talking about him the same way we were talking about those other three guys right now. And but, by the way, Embiid is an international player. He's from Africa. Last time I checked, yeah, I know. But I, I, again, I don't just because you were born somewhere else doesn't count. 
Okay, I guess so. <laughs> no, it can't, Kansas is in our country, pal. All right, I don't count that. Even Elijah, maybe we shouldn't be able to count Elijah either. So you think that every international player should have to play in college first? No, shouldn't have to, but American. but I think it but I think it helps. I think it helps. It helps acum, you know, really get you ready for the style of basketball. I think that's played in the NBA because there is a distinct style. I mean, even if you watch international basketball, um, you know, even if you watch Euro basketball, it's different than the NBA style, isn't it? Okay, but what about all the Americans that didn't play in college? Kobe Bryant, uh, LeBron James, Kevin Garnett. I mean, there's a crazy list of great American players that didn't play college. They didn't need to acclimate. True, but I'm, but if they played the American style, the physical, even in high school, played. You know, I mean, it, it, to assume that European basketball or foreign, you know, international basketball is played the same way as the NBA or the way we do it in the United States. It's catching up, I think, but there is there is an acclimation period, isn't there, for the guys that come from Europe to here? I think that there's less of an acclimation period because these guys are playing against men and they're playing with a 24-second shot clock right? as opposed to the college 35-second. The college game, anytime you touch anybody, it's a foul. <laughs> well, now, I mean, yeah. These games are so boring and, and controlling. I mean, really, you know, I think international players are much easier for them to adapt. If you're an 18-year-old kid in Spain right. playing against, you know, 30, 30-year-olds, that's a lot easier than um, you know than if you're a freshman in college. Yeah, it might be true. I mean, you're right. I mean, they, now that the rule changes and the, the, because coaches are really the key element in college basketball rather than the players, you know, you have to play their style. You know, what I mean, and, and that may not even be your style. You're probably right about that. You probably have more freedom to succeed uh, in Europe than you do, you know, under our college game. You know, in your mock draft, you've got Wiggins above Parker. Is that set in stone? Is that is there anything that that makes you think that? You know, why Wiggins is better than Parker? How come? I don't think anything is set in stone. First of all, we need to see who gets that. You know, the right. number one, number two, number three picks. That's going to change a lot of things because if you talk to you know, I was I was at the NBA Combine this past mm-hmm. week. You talk to 150 different NBA executives. They all have crazy different opinions on how this draft shakes out. Some of them think Parker can't play, you know, he's fat, he's slow, he's overrated. Right. Some guys say Wiggins is, you know, not productive at all. He's just an athlete. His ceiling is DeMar DeRozan. Some guys think, you know, Embiid is, is, is the guy. Embiid is going to be a Olajuwon. So right. it really, really depends on who you talk to. And that's going to, and then, you know, the, the physical is or something, you know, that's going to be really important too. The medical examination, these three top guys didn't show up to the NBA right. combine this week because their agents are trying to control who gets that medical examination. And if you're, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks sitting there at number one and you don't have a physical on Embiid, can you really draft right. him knowing yeah. that, you know, his back is messed up? He hasn't really played any 5-on-5 the last couple of months because he had an issue. And so that's that's going to be a really big factor in who goes number one. Yeah, I'd hate to give that number one pick to a question mark. You know, I mean, even if he does turn out to be better. You know, I, I was watching the Combine. And you know, I heard all that talk about the, the assumption is is that Parker's better now, but that Wiggins has the higher ceiling. Is that is, is that a prevailing thought? I mean, even even amongst all those opinions? I think so. I mean, I think that, that there's some truth to that. Parker was a much more productive player in his in his, in his freshman right. year. Uh, but the whole team at Duke was built around him, whereas Wiggins kind of had to share the spotlight with Embiid amongst other guys. They had more talent. So um, I think that I, I, I can get behind that notion, mm-hmm. but 
you know, the NBA game is totally different than the college game, like you were talking about just a minute ago. So right. uh, it's, everything's going to change once these guys step on the court in the NBA. I'm a Parker guy. I mean, not that I'm not a Wiggins guy, but there were times when he just dominated. And as you said, the whole game was built around him. And even defensively, as the season wore on, teams, that was their goal, stop Parker. And there were times they just couldn't. He was physically strong enough to get where he wanted to get to and do what he wanted to do. And I, I, that's why I kind of like Parker more than I like Wiggins a little bit. Wiggins, not really able to do that. When you got in his head sometimes, you could limit Wiggins as opposed to Parker. I mean, there were not too many times where too many people limited Parker during the year. Offensively, there's no question. Yeah. Parker is a scoring machine, and he's got a chance to come in and average 18, 20 points a game right off the bat. Wiggins is different in that he's still, you know, in, working on his ball handling, he's still working on his jump shot, but he's a phenomenal defender, mm. and you're going to be able to sick him on, you know, a lot of different guys in the NBA right off the bat, and he's going to help you, whereas Parker, you know, had to play center in, in college because he was so limited defensively. They were so afraid of him having to step outside the paint, right. guard the pick and roll, and in today's NBA, which is so fast-paced, and there's so many actions he's going to be playing the three, and he's going to be out on an island at the three-point line, and guys are going to go after him. So he's either going to have to get better or he's going to struggle big time. Jonathan, is that a similar situation from McDermott at Creighton, the fear defensively? Yes, absolutely. That's the biggest concern. I mean, McDermott is a historically great scorer. You know, any metric you look at in terms right. of his usage and his efficiency, it's off the charts. The guy is a flat-out machine, but... You know, just those major questions. Defensively, you have to move down a position, you have to guard small forwards on the perimeter. That's going to be an issue. But I think that he plays hard and he's he's attentive, he's aware, he tries, and that that makes up for deficiencies mm. right there. I mean, you know, Kyle Korver has become a respectable defender. J.J. Yeah. Redick has become a respectable defender. I think he's going to get there. I think those concerns are overblown, and I think you see that reflected in where we have him in our mock draft. We have him in the top ten. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think he's going to be he's going to be a, a major contributor from day one. A guy who has very few metrics when you look at numbers is Julius Randle. Yet everybody likes him because his his athleticism, the fact that he's left-handed, the fact that he can go to the basket that that means a lot, doesn't it? Compared to his shooting percentage, which isn't very good. Well, I mean, he he averaged 15 points a game in 30 minutes, which for you know an 18 year old freshman right. is pretty good. Um, you know, and he was a great offensive rebounder. He, again, had to share the spotlight with a number of good players. He had some ball-dominant guards and the Harrison Twins who never passed the ball. <laughs> so, he, you know, he was off and on with his production. But I don't think it's, it's that poor. And, um, you know, with his strength, you know, at 6'9 guy with, you know, tremendous scoring instincts, he's going to be able to come into the NBA right away and play as opposed to some of these other guys you're going to have to wait on a little bit. What about, like, I saw that, you know, the, the vertical jump was out of the roof for Aaron Gordon, but we all know his difficulty at the free throw line. Um, and some would suggest not that he, I mean, what's another year, but he could use a little more seasoning in, in completing fully his game. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's no question he has a lot of work to do on his offensive game, as mm. you saw in his free throw percentage, shot 42% from the line, which is horrible. I don't think he's ever going to be a great scorer in right. the NBA. I think he's going to be a defensive-minded guy who thrives in transition and, and, and kind of plays off other players, kind of like a Sean Marion type of guy. Right. So, you know, to draft him too high, expecting him to be a go-to scorer, I think will be a mistake.
We saw that Michael Carter-Williams, who came out of Syracuse, had an amazing year uh, and stepped right in for a really awful team in Philadelphia. Uh, point guard still valued. I mean, where in the case of, you know, Tyler Ennis, that he has some value at the point, Marcus Smart, guys like that? Oh, no question. There's huge value there. And that's where I think, you know, you look at Michael Carter-Williams and then you look at Dante Exum, who is similarly sized mm-hmm. at six six even more athletic than Carter Williams is. Um, you look at what he did against USA Basketball, against the best players we have in our college game, and, and guys that are in the NBA right now in the Hoop Summit and also in the Under-17 World Championship, Under-19 World Championship. He really, really um, you know, dominated against all the top players in his age group, and that's going to be you know, at 6'6", just a huge advantage to have at the point guard position when you're a great ball handler and you're creative and you can play at different speeds. So I think that's where a lot of the appeal is in Exxon and then to a lesser extent in Tyler Ennis. But I tell you what, point guards are making a comeback, right, in the NBA? No question. You have yeah. to have a great point guard to, to be successful. And, I, I mean, it's just a renaissance. Every team you look at, the depth of the position is unbelievable. And that's why, you know, the bar is set so high. Uh, if you don't have one, it's going to be really hard to win, but it's going to be really hard for these kids coming in to step in from day one and change the face of a franchise because the competition they're going up against every night is unbelievable. Yeah, because, I mean, even think about, you know, what was done. Uh, you know, the rookies had a pretty good year for the most part this year. I mean, he had some guys hurt like Trey Burke. and but, but for the most part, this last year's draft class had a really nice NBA year. I don't know about that. I mean, if you, I, I mean, at the top in, anyway. I mean, Oladipo, uh, Carter, William. You know, I mean, maybe at the top more so than fully through the first round. I think the jury is still out. You know, there's a lot. Of, you know, Noel, we didn't see what he could do right. at all. Alex Lund, we couldn't. We couldn't see what he could do at all. Otto Porter was hurt all year. Anthony Bennett, right now, is looking wow. like the worst number yeah. one pick ever. <laughs> so, you know, this draft class, 2014, we're hoping is going to be a lot better than 2013. That's right. Somehow Michael Oikandy got off the list just because, you know, because of Anthony Bennett. He's ecstatic about Anthony Bennett. What about P.J. Hairston, who obviously had the issues at North Carolina? Did that hurt him, help him? What's the situation with him in terms of, you know, that whole situation? Forgotten for the most part? I don't think it's forgotten, and I think that teams are just, you know, they're going to do a lot of research mm-hmm. into what on, what went on at North Carolina as, as well as what went on in the D-League. You know, there were some issues there as well that kind of went uncovered. Uh, you know, the question, he's not going to go in the lottery like, like we right. thought he could have had he stayed in North Carolina, had he had a great year because of those issues, but he could be a steal for someone in that later half of the first round because he's a six five guy with a man's body who can really score. He's got unlimited range and teams really need that. You know, three point shooting is a huge part of today's NBA game and, and he's gonna be able to come in right away and do that. The guy scored forty five points in his second game in the D League with the NBA three point line. He there was no adjustment for him whatsoever. So that's an advantage, I think. Having had you know that adversity, that that helps him. He had to mature a little bit, but it, he isn't quite there uh, at this point. Jonathan, I like the bottom four guys you have in the first round: KJ McDaniel's from Clemson, Kyle Anderson, who had a really nice uh, Pac-12 tournament and NCAA tournament, Harrison, and then Jeremy Grant. Those guys, you know, again, any value you can get at the bottom of the first round really helps, doesn't it? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, this draft is, is pretty stacked. Yeah. I, I, every one of these 50-50 guys that couldn't went back to school mm-hmm. pretty much decided to enter the draft, which created a lot of depth. Um, you know, there's 15 international players. I know you hate them, but they're in the <laughs> they're in, projected to get drafted. A lot of them are very talented players. This is a very, very talented draft class, and I think that you're going to see, um, you know, a lot of teams making moves here on draft night. It's going to be very entertaining. From what you saw, Jonathan, at the Combine, can you get – I mean, in the NFL, you sometimes can be helped by the Combine. Can the NBA Combine help, do you think? A little bit. I think that a guy like Zach Levine came in there Mm -hmm. and just wowed people with, you know, reminding people just how freakishly athletic he is, how naturally the game comes for him, you know, his shooting range, um, you know, he and just how – how much room he still has to improve, just kind of reminding people about that helps a lot because he finished the year off so poorly. He only scored 10 points total in his last eight games or something crazy like that. So, uh, you know, this setting, it's not really basketball to me. It's kind of, you know, you up against the cones. Right. And if you're a freakish athlete who can who can shoot, you're going to look really good in that setting. I like the old days, right? I said it in the open. I like when they used to play, you know, full-court basketball. It was nice. Um, yeah. you, know, you could see a guy like a Jamal Crawford move up from the late first round yeah. into the top ten, and um, you could really see guys moving their stock. But you know, the agents have a lot of control over the draft process these days, and um, they just don't let the NBA do anything. <laughs> they really control everything. And I, you know, and I, that that question has come up too about you know whether or not that's good or bad. You know, if the NBA could somehow control that to make sure that the Wiggins and Parkins and those guys come to Chicago. It's hard, though, isn't it? I mean, and and the difficulty will be you'll see a lot of those late first round, second round guys come, but there'll be a time when you won't see the top ten show up in, in Chicago, will you? It's been getting worse and worse. Uh, I wrote a big article about this this week about just looking year by year from 2006 to 2014. Every single year, you know, it's gotten worse and worse to the point that the NBA is really going to have to step in and do something. One idea that I brought up uh-huh. from a team executive was um, to the rookie scale, you can pay a guy between 80 to 120% of the scale. So if you don't show up to any of these events, you're locking yourself into 80 to 100%, right. whereas if you do, you can get the max 120%. That's a couple million dollars when you're looking you know, over, over a four-year span for, for a top-five pick. That, that is a way to really get these guys to think twice about not participating in some of these events. Do you think that executives would be willing to do that? I mean, really put their foot down and say, either you show up or you're going to get penalized? If it happens across the board mm-hmm. that everybody's playing by the same rules, I, I don't see why not. I mean, they're going to have to collectively bargain, and they're going to have to you know, negotiate with the Players Association and make some concessions that matter. But if, it, this, if this draft process means something to them, they're going to have to do it. Do you have a guy that's maybe high second round that could sneak up to the first round, in, in, let's say, in a, in a personal workout? Um, you know, once you get outside of the top 20 picks or so, it's really yeah. a crapshoot. I mean, all these guys from, for, that are on my board from 20 to 50, they're really talented. It's really just a matter of, you know, beauty of the eye and the beholder. <laughs> um, you know, one guy might think a guy is a 21st player in the draft. Another guy might think he's going to go undrafted. So, uh, you know, you're going to see a lot of fluctuations here in the next, um, you know, five weeks leading up to the draft. 
The next thing is to find out which teams will draft where as the draft lottery uh, comes up. And, of course, once that happens, and between now and the draft, you can go to draftexpress.com and find out all of the details, all the mock drafts, all of the latest uh, rankings and things, and all of the international players that everybody loves except me coming up. Jonathan, I appreciate it as always. Stay well, my friend. We'll talk again before the draft. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. All right, Jonathan Gavoni, get it done. DraftExpress.com. More coming up. We'll close it out right here on Yahoo Sports Radio.